This episode contains discussions of religious abuse and brief mentions of sexual abuse. Whether you've been handed a brochure or answered their knock at your door, this small but prevalent group has operated in our society since its inception in the late 1800s. With over 200 locations worldwide, there's likely a kingdom hall near you. But what exactly is going on inside? This week's episode is Jehovah's Witnesses, Part 1. Fills with dread, probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. Well, this is one of the long lost topics that we tried to do. We didn't know what we were doing and <laughs> we're recording in a tin can and now, and was like a half of an episode, you know, like as far as research went mm-hmm. and now we're like, well, this is easily three parts. Oh yes. Yeah. I went back to look at the, I'm going to use the word notes very loosely for the first time we covered this, I think in episode six or something, it was so early on. And they are unusable. The the how we used to do things. It would just be like a link to a Wikipedia article. Was not. It's not as in depth as we like to do now. We've really honed our research and writing skills over the years, and now we can bring to you an in depth series like this. Which I mean, this could be a ten part series, quite honestly. And I'm sure there are many podcasts out there that have done just that. But we really appreciate all of. The people reaching out in different ways, your family is currently a Jehovah's Witness and you're concerned for them. You are an ex-member. You were born into it. We've received so many emails and DMs and stories from people. And I want all of you to know that even if you feel like you're alone, I promise you, you are not because we are reading all of these almost word for word, similar stories that everyone goes through and the same feelings you all have gone through, especially if you were born into it and then left. So all that to say, I hope that this episode and the next two really solidify for those of you that are struggling with having been or being a Jehovah's Witness in any way that you You know that there's help out there and we are, whatever we can do to help facilitate that, we absolutely will. And then if you were like, huh, I don't really know much about this. I mean, we all laugh because, you know, they come to our door and knock on it. We don't want to be disturbed. Well, yes, that is a trope we all see in media. And sure, it's, you know, silly and annoying. But when you get down to what is actually the practice beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses, it is a dark place and nothing to be laughed at. It's fascinating to me, given not just, you know, the research we've done today, because they're pretty open as far as you'll check our show notes. And we actually had so many sources for 
this episode and the ones coming up that we've actually sectioned them out into like books, documentaries, and online. And the, then we also bifurcated the online sources into Jehovah's Witnesses because they put every copy of the Watchtower, all of that is searchable online. So to that extent, anytime we say, oh, their professed beliefs are X, it is what they currently have published out on their website available. And to their credit, their website is, except for finding out more information on the governing body, relatively easy to search. I mean, they have a search bar up the top. It's a, a mapped out website because they want you to find answers. If you type in, I think I'm gay or I'm drinking too much or I'm sad. They want things to pop up. But to that extent, you know, sometimes when you talk about a religion, especially one with a, not a, this isn't the most prevalent religion, but a lot of adherence, it's like, well, you know, you got to do your research. Well, I will promise you we do it for every episode in general. But for really this one, that's something astonishing about what is a cult-like organization to have a significant amount of documents online. That said, in parts two and three, we'll talk about all the shit they kept secret and covered up. Yeah. In case the rampant sexual abuse, especially in children, is not something you want to listen to. And quite frankly, it's not something we love to discuss either. But you can't do episodes on the Jehovah's Witnesses and not talk about it because that is how rampant and brushed under the, the rug it is. So we're going to save that for episode two. So it if you want to still listen to this one and get an idea of their beliefs and all of that, you can without having to worry about. So, I mean, there might be like one or two mentions, but like we're going to dive deep into actual cases and reports of abuse in the next two episodes. Definitely. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. We've all seen them knocking on doors and standing on street corners, handing out pamphlets, often being ignored to avoid a potentially awkward conversation. Or perhaps you've invited them into your home to discuss religion over a cup of tea, only to discover their beliefs do not align with your own. However, for nearly 9 million people in 239 countries worldwide, being a Jehovah's Witness is their way of life. The governing body of the Jehovah's Witnesses was incorporated on December 13, 1884. Eight years earlier, in 1876, two men, Charles Taze Russell and Nelson Barber, were both leading groups in the study of the Holy Bible. Russell was in Allegheny, Pennsylvania, leading a small Bible study he formed on his own after leaving a Seventh-day Adventist congregation over a difference in beliefs. Russell, at 32 years old, was the co-owner of a men's clothing store with his father. Passionate about his faith, Russell wrote a pamphlet outlining his disagreement with the Seventh-day Adventist belief that Christ would return in flesh form. Instead, Russell believed Jesus would return in a spiritual form. He published 50,000 copies of his pamphlet, which caught the attention of Nelson Barber in Rochester, New York. Barber was leading a small flock of his own who shared a similar belief. The two began working together, publishing texts that could spread their version of the good word. By 1884, the organization was legally incorporated as Zion's Watchtower Tract Society. The purpose was to disseminate the Bible through various means of publication. With that goal, the organization began pumping out copies of The Watchtower, a religious magazine dedicated to the beliefs of JWs. 
Yeah, Charles Taze Russell, in his, uh, I think he wanted to be a writer. He's stoked about the pamphlet. Once the pamphlet went as far as it did, he started writing more and more. And when you read JW biographies of him, often it is mentioned like he was a prolific writer and a prolific, I think he liked the sound of his own voice. (laughs) You know, I mean, I said off air to you as we've been researching this, there's a lot of similarities with Scientology, and this to me is kind of one of them. If someone that just kind of liked the spotlight and the mm-hmm. story, L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction writer, a comic book writer, and then it just got developed into a religion. Yeah. Charles Taze Russell, if you want to be a writer and you like prose and like the sound of your voice, then go be a writer and a speaker. Yeah. You don't have to also have it be a religion because that's when lines of fiction and faith become blurred and your own like personal kind of gratification gets wrapped up in something that you are proselytizing to other people as fact the truth the truth question mark yeah and honestly jw's in one of the books called deliverance at hand is a memoir of an xjw he uses that word that his family members would use that word for him of like oh you're turning away from the truth so it really is charles taze russell just made it up but it's like but it's the truth because of god so it's just interesting that his interpretation is not just i'm a scholar i'm a christian scholar and i want to give you my interpretation it's the all the others are wrong read my pamphlet and as for why you'd want to take your writing and turn it into a religion Oh, the money in the tax breaks. <laughs> you kidding me? Plus, I mean, you're getting your story out to 240 countries worldwide. Right? It goes all over. And can we just briefly say, Taze is a very cool middle name. Taze. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're Charles Russell, drop that. Just go by Taze. If Taze. anybody has the name Taze in their name, that's all you should go by. Like yeah. Cher, Madonna, Taze. It's our leader, Taze. And suddenly you're like, hmm. Maybe I'll listen to Taze. Okay. Are there lasers? Because it sounds right. like there's going to be lasers. Taser laser? <laughs> taser laser? That's, that's what they do on Friday nights as <laughs> fellowship. Taser it's our, laser. It's our worship. Cue the tasers. <laughs> They're like, no, sorry, the taser lasers. They've cued the tasers. Everyone's injured. We've got to come home. With each issue having a print run of 42 million copies, today, The Watchtower is the most widely publicized magazine in the world. Witnesses distribute the biblical magazine door-to-door as part of their ministry. It has been published in more than 190 languages and has been distributed in 236 lands, according to JW.org. Composed of articles written by committee members worldwide, The Watchtower has been published continually since 1879, with its accompanying magazine, Awake, having been published since 1919. For both publications, the contributions are almost entirely from men, with women only being allowed to submit articles if they are non-doctrinal in nature. Oh, well, that's because women's brains are smaller than men's, and that's why they can't be elders, is because their brains are too small. Marjorie, if you have a nice pumpkin bread recipe you'd like to submit for the Watchtower, that's fine. But I'll be damned if you have anything to say about how we run things around here. Jehovah doesn't take lines from women. It's like, I have a lot of good things to say. Not from you. This is, um, I mean, there's a lot of sticking points about what I don't like about this group. And this is a big one that they... 
do not shy away from, which is another thing I've been shocked while reading this on their own main website, jw.org. I mean, they are proud to say, we follow a headship type of house and ministry. The man is the leader. The women are subordinate to them. They should do what the man says. And also like, if you're gay, don't even bother living. You, you you know, repent or you're going to die. I mean, they don't shy away from any of these just horribly sexist, misogynistic, homophobic beliefs. They are, they flaunt them rather. Certainly. Yeah, it's proudly of like, well, we proudly take on a male headship role. And it uh, that echoes the quiverful movement, too, of like, whoa, man is a womb man. Mm-hmm. It's a man with a womb. Therefore, it's just like they're taking the biblical text and misinterpreting it in a way that fits with what would benefit if in this situation, seven out of eight or eight out of nine of the governing current governing body is white. And yeah, it's what absolutely would help an old white man stay in charge. So yeah, you're going to write the doctrine that just keeps your power. It's just crazy that most religions, you know, on surface at least would say like, we're, we love everybody where everybody has equal, right? Everyone's equal in God's eyes. And they're like, no, they're not. (laughs) We will show you why, you know, it's just stand down. ma'am. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, you know what you're getting, but on the other hand, like, that's what children are being taught from the second they are brought into this. And many of them are born into it from the yeah. time they can understand anything. It's like, Oh, you're a girl. Okay. Get in the kitchen. You're going to be helping mom, you know, cook. Oh, you're a man. Well, then you go out there and you sit with the men. You talk about, you know, all the big important decisions and you just come and tell us whatever we need to do. Cause you're in charge. Yeah, I mean that's the, you're not wrong, and and it's almost more insidious because it isn't simply biblical. I mean, in a one of their publications, they said the female skull is lighter and its cranial capacity is ten percent smaller than a male. Like that's why you shouldn't be in charge. And at a speech by one of the governing body members, he quoted that same line that had been thirty years earlier published in a JW publication that now the governing body member you're quoting your own shit going well scientists say that women's heads are smaller and so he said she she's just not equipped for the role of headship her role is one of subjection to the man her role is that of submissiveness and that means she should recognize that she's a woman and be glad to be a woman never want what you're not equipped to be Mm. i'm sorry (laughs) i it's been a minute since i took biology but I don't remember being told my head is fundamentally smaller than any man's. And I'm pretty sure that's not true. So again, I mean, you know, they're also creationists. So they're just spouting off bullshit science that then these people grow up believing. Yeah. And then, well, you never get to college because they don't allow it. But <laughs> you, you want to say you do. And then you're like, you make an ass out of yourself because you're like, oh, that's that's not true. And it's like, no, and you're not to blame because if you've been taught something your whole life that is fundamentally wrong and can be scientifically proven wrong, dot, dot, dot. I don't even yeah. know how to finish that. It's just wild. It still yeah. happens. And to say there's 42 million copies, it's the most widely publicized magazine. That's what's being printed in it. It's not just like wholesale King James Version Bible verses. It is articles written by men saying, oh, here." and my favorite part is anytime there's like an inline citation to a Bible verse, and then I go and click it, and I'm like, 
this doesn't have anything to do with what you just cited. So it looks like you're citing your sources, but it's all nonsense. I was like, this, I've seen better cited Wikipedia articles. <laughs> But you can't question it, and that's the I, my brain's ten percent smaller or whatever. So I don't know what the fuck. Sure, Heather, about. you're not equipped to question it. We'll have to ask Paris for his interpretation. <laughs> but you couldn't even question it to the governing body because then you're in violation and you're sinning. How dare you question anything? So, I mean, for cults and groups like this, it's the perfect formula because you've created a bubble in which. You can say whatever you want and that can't be questioned or they, that person gets kicked out. So you surrounded yourself with people that are not allowed to tell you they're wrong or they receive a punishment worse than death. Oh yeah. Russell was proven to be a liar in court when suing someone for libel. In 1912, Pastor J.J. Ross of a Baptist congregation in New York published a pamphlet titled, Some facts about the self-styled pastor, Charles Russell. On the stand, Russell was asked whether he truly knew Greek, as he had claimed when translating the Greek Bible. Russell said yes, of course he did. When given a printed copy of the Greek alphabet on the stand and asked to recite the letters, Russell was forced to admit he never spoke the language. Wah, wah. Well, then you have a person saying, this is the true meaning of the Bible as was written in the in this Greek version, and I myself translated it, and you lying motherfucker. And what, do you think they're not going to hand you a copy of the Greek alphabet, asshole, after they just asked if you could speak it? You know, that lawyer was like, say yes, bitch, say yes. Oh, yeah. Greek, say yes. And then hands it to him like, oh, really? Well, why don't you translate this? Oh, well, the letter spelled out, I'm a liar and an idiot. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Damn. Russell had also told congregates that prior to starting his own organization, he had been ordained by a recognized religious body. However, when asked if he actually had been ordained, Russell was forced to admit on the stand, I never was. Though he had been caught in these lies, Russell remained the leader of the group. According to JW literature, Russell traveled over a million miles during his time as the group's leader gave over 30,000 sermons, and wrote books totaling more than 50,000 pages. But these are just simple things, fundamental lies that he's willing to tell to gain followers. And when it comes down to it, and you're about to be held in contempt or, you know, commit perjury, you know, he comes forward. So it's created by a liar, full stop. And a, a liar who has a predilection for writing a whole lot. So, like, all of these initial documents and concepts were all thought about and written about by this person who now we have. Not to mention he sold space in some of the magazines to sell Miracle Wheat. It grows bigger than Big Wheat. Everybody loves it. He sued someone who said that was bullshit. And turns out there was no Miracle Wheat. So he was lying about that. I mean, just mm-hmm. simple as simple as putting, like, advertisements for bullshit in the literature. What is the purpose? Is it to get followers, to get power because you're crazy and you just want, you think you're right? I don't know, but I don't really have a great feeling. It's like, like you said, like L. Ron Hubbard, go back to the source. Like who made this up? No, they sound like they're selling snake oil. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean that they're just trying to like bamboozle you. And when you catch someone in one line, okay, but like three in Mm -hmm. a row and then you're like, well, if you're lying about these little things, I mean, of course you would be lying about big things. Right. Like the creation of the world and how big <laughs> all of our fucking heads are. 
I mean, you can't believe a thing this person says. I mean, truly, yeah. Especially, it'd be one thing if he said, I'm not ordained by anybody. I'm just a guy who got a message from God. But to lie to everybody and go, oh, no, I've got experience in this. Mm -hmm. And also, it's just things that were easily, you you just could have told the truth and you chose not to. So when I also see, like, he traveled a million miles. He gave 30,000 sermons. I'm like, did he, though? Like, did he? Did he tell you he did? Right, right. And also... Those are just numbers. Like, did he, yeah. what are the uh, positive impacts he, he made on anybody? It's also, <sighs> why keep somebody as your leader when you already know this about them? That's, you know, it's not a smart decision. I think that news didn't travel very fast back then. And probably yeah. a few people that had heard about this. And one wonders if you're regarded as a fraud and an idiot in your local area, you know, around Allegheny or whatever, do you start writing to your buddy in New York going like, maybe you start a branch up there where nobody's heard of me and all the bullshit I've done. And mm-hmm. let me get on a train and travel around and be like, hey, I'm from Allegheny. I'm a good truth telling kind of guy. First of all, do you want to buy some wheat? Second of all, <laughs> do you want to join my religion? Because then you're all of a sudden in another place. And back then, nobody could Google you. You can figure it out. You can't ask. Send a telegraph even in some situations. So if you go to more remote areas or far away foreign locales, which we'll see, this international reach, yeah, you can get away from your bad past pretty easily. Yeah, that's true. We talked about that on our tour. That mm-hmm. for a month, you know, if you said something on one side of the world, you could be whoever you wanted for a month or two until that traveled all the way to the other side of the world and people found out you were full of shit. Right. The internet really wrecked things for grifters. Yeah. Yeah. Sinisterhood will be right back. The first foreign watchtower branch was established in London in 1900, followed by offices in Germany, Melbourne, and eventually Hong Kong. While in charge, Russell emphasized the spread of the group's message via the establishment of watchtower sites across the globe. Russell died on Halloween of 1916. After serving for 10 years as legal counsel for the group, J.F. Rutherford took over as successor. Early into his service, Rutherford made headlines as he and eight other high-ranking leaders were imprisoned in Atlanta for insubordination and refusal of military duty. The convictions were reversed, and the leaders were freed from jail. Once out, Rutherford turned his eye towards more action by witnesses and the centralization of power and control. And in the historical analyses of the group by, you know, whether it's like uh, sociologists or theologians, when you look at what each of these early members were kind of into and obsessed with, it feels like Russell wanted to just be all over the world and be the leader and be like the face of it and be like, hey, it's me. With J.F. Rutherford, because he worked as the legal counsel, he was essentially this corporate guy. Like it was like, oh, we need to make this more like an organization. We need to have branches. We need to have. So you see each of their different areas of focus, I guess. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and their strengths and areas of focus. And so for Russell, it's like me, me, me. J.F. Rutherford, it's like, how can we make this an organization that's going to last now that our kooky Founder is gone. Mm-hmm. Originally, the branch offices were run by elected leaders, voted on by each local congregation. In 1919, upon his release from prison, Rutherford and the other highest-ranking leaders on the board of directors, in later years known as the governing body, determined that all levels of leadership should be chosen by them. Local votes were no longer held. Members didn't choose their leaders. Instead, all local leaders serving the newly designated Watchtower organization were chosen, quote, theocratically, 
via divine message to Rutherford and the board of directors. So, yeah, you have local churches who can kind of say, we want these people to be in charge. We've all decided as a group, you, Bill, have been great. You can be an elder. And J.F. Rutherford's like, oh, we can't really exert the amount of control we want to exert by that. So in that case, everyone's fired. And I decide if you're fired or not. And so it's just very quickly this consolidation of power. And also when you're like, well, it's not even me talking. It's the big man upstairs and you can't argue with him. Then you've created yourself like a foolproof situation. Who can question you when you're like, listen, I'm not firing you, Bill. I'd love to have you as an elder. It's God. Okay. (laughs) Jehovah. Jehovah hates you. I can't. I don't know what to tell you. And Bill's like, can I get a. Do I have an exit interview? And he's like, no, I'm sorry. God is really busy today. He's got a lot of creating on his plate. So you're just going to have to turn around and we'll write you a reference. Yeah, he's not going to meet with you today. I'm sorry, <laughs> Bill. It's not happening. He's well, He'll send you a calendar, but it's mostly booked up for like the next millennia. Just like it just says God stuff. I don't know. He's real busy. In 1931, the group adopted the name Jehovah's Witnesses at a convention in Columbus, Ohio. They borrowed the name from the biblical verse, Isaiah 43.10, which reads, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. Before Rutherford went to jail, the focus of the group was Bible study and creating a closeness with God. After, the focus shifted to recruitment. Members were expected to place literature and make calls, then report those actions to the governing body. In 1940, the calls became street proselytizing with witnesses handing out free copies of literature in public places, a practice that continues to this day. And yeah, since you now have a centralized governing body, you know, in one location, in order to make sure everybody's doing what they're doing, there's only 200, max 200 members at each kingdom hall. And then they all have to write like hour sheets, like you log your hours and write and let them know. And if you're not doing enough hours, then you get a talking to. (laughs) Yeah. In addition to probably a full-time job you have, you know, I mean, just doing the witnessing that is required could be 30 hours a week. And then you've also got to go to another job. And this is how we see like groups like this start to dig their claws into every aspect of a member's life to where they slowly take away your autonomy and anything outside of the church and your whole life just becomes them. Yeah, your whole dance card is full with obligations, church mm-hmm. obligations, because truly, if you are not performing these things. Now, uh, things have changed in to an extent in the more modern times, but very early on and up through, I mean, and in some congregations to this day, it is a focus on what are you doing? How much are you doing? And in that deliverance at hand memoir, you know, the guy had some questions. The The author was kind of in his 20s and questioning things about the church. And the answer from the elders was like, well, you should do more work. You should be doing more work. Like mm-hmm. do research, look into it on your own time. But how many hours have you been working? How many people have you talked to? Like you're going to really find strength in Jehovah. And that's why you're questioning things is because you're not doing enough hours of work. And like you said, he's like, I have a full-time job and like a wife, but like, I, okay, I guess. Yeah. And also that, that doesn't answer my question or help me. You're just kind of passing the buck and putting the onus back on me to figure out answers to questions I'm having or feelings I'm experiencing instead of really talking to people and helping them through that. When the answer is always, well, you're not praying hard enough. Well, then it becomes this guilt-ridden existence you take on of, oh, well, I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, depression, anxiety, suicide, all of these things creep in quite regularly because of this type of approach. Yeah, when you shift the focus and the allegation of community when the reality is, you know, oh, well, it's a community and it's support, but we'll see that that's not always the case. But you're right, that personal failure, making it a personal, you're questioning your faith as a personal failure is insidious and it's mean, honestly. Mm-hmm. Around the same time, Hitler began rising to power in Germany. Elected as chancellor in 1931, by 1934, Hitler set up a special monitoring squad within the Gestapo, for JWs specifically. The Nazis began arresting witnesses. Those taken in would be let free only if they would renounce their faith. Any who didn't were taken to concentration camps, where they received a purple inverted triangle on their uniforms, marking them specifically as witnesses. And they, along with anybody suspected of being homosexual or gay, had a specific, a different specific triangle. Those who were Romani had a different specific triangle and those who were Jewish. So to have a group that was specifically targeted as uh, one for isolation, for extermination, for being treated this way, extremely serious in that. And when it was going on at the time, everybody, you know, obviously much like everybody else that was being targeted by Hitler. It's this effort of the war effort, everyone supporting the war. But to see that that type of treatment now and then watch the organization develop from 1935 to present, it's, it's shameful to see that type of treatment on a smaller level. I mean, it's still a ton of witnesses being targeted and killed by Hitler, but then how the organization treats its members on a larger scale as the decades go on. The persecution that they experienced in such a heinous fashion did not seem to change their ideas of persecution going forward towards others. Yeah, it's it's just sad to see. To see how the Jewish community has turned its cheek towards whole like unity, making the Holocaust museums oftentimes mm-hmm. are human rights museums that are inclusive of civil rights struggles in America and understanding that a threat to justice anywhere or is a threat to justice everywhere. And it doesn't have to necessarily, you know, like that's just such an interesting turn as a community towards inclusiveness and healing versus we are going to see excluding and mm-hmm. persecution of LGBTQ people, which were also persecuted right alongside JWs and the Jewish people by Hitler. Mm-hmm. In the U.S. at a convention in 1935, J.F. Rutherford told the assembled witnesses that saluting an earthly emblem, such as the American flag, was a showing of unfaithfulness to God. A booklet was published later that year, making the stance on flags official in the organization. Witnesses then began instructing their children not to salute the flag at school. During a heightened wartime with the U.S. engaged in World War II, this position became unpopular. The issue made it to the Supreme Court, who in 1940 ruled that public schools could make saluting the flag mandatory to promote the country's national cohesion. The ruling was overruled on First Amendment grounds just three years later. But I think this, and every that's the thing about America, right? You have a right to practice your religion how you want to. But anecdotally in my family, the feelings towards Jehovah's Witnesses turned a bit sour at this, where it's where my grandfather was a World War II veteran and my grandmother received a knock at her door from a Jehovah's Witness 
And as my mother said, blessed him off the porch and was really felt a lot of animosity because she lost, you know, her husband was gone for the first four or five years of my uncle's life out essentially fighting to liberate in some cases, JWs who had been targeted by Hitler. And so for her, like I said, anecdotally, she had a really negative feeling and a lot of anger towards him of, you know, my husband's out fighting for you. Mm -hmm. You have the audacity to knock on my door and you can't even take up arms and go fight with him. You're cho- you won't even salute his flag. So there was a lot of, I think, I won't say PR, but I think national sentiment soured towards JWs, especially with a ruling that told them, no, you have to salute. Now, I don't want to live in a country that forces people to salute to flags. So I'm right. glad it was overturned. But I can definitely see how that the feeling towards them shifted to a little bit more of a sour position here. Yeah, I think it's also a way of, again, um, us against them, like uh, othering people, just the more niche of a group you can create within your congregation, then the more beholden they become to you. And now if you're like, well, it's America versus us. I mean, that's one of the biggest us versus thems you can have. And I know my reading letters and stuff from my grandfather in the war and also speaking to people who served not just in World War II, but in the military thereafter, one of the I'll say benefits of serving the military is you meet people from all over. I mean, you, you're from mm-hmm. Texas, your guy that's next to you is from California, that guy's from Washington. And it's a real mix of beliefs and cultures and where you're from. And I imagine if you are running a homogenous group that you don't want people to get any kind of ideas or leave, then telling them, boy, you really can't serve in the military is uh, that's yeah. crime. True, true. On January 13th, 1942, Nathan H. Knorr, a former Watchtower volunteer and manager at the group's printing factory, became the third president of the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. Perhaps inspired by his work at the printing factory, Knorr focused on printing educational and training materials for the organization. Knorr and the board of directors also rewrote the Bible in 1950, calling it a modern translation. And that's what... I said when we were in high school, you remember they had like modern Shakespeare and on one side it's Shakespeare. That's like Juliet or Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? And the other side would be like, Romeo, is that you knocking at my window? Yeah. Little, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's sometimes how we got to get the translation for the Gen Z, you know? Helps I mean, me. we got, sometimes we got to see TikToks to understand, okay, what's, what are we using for this word now? Oh, yeah. I love it. When I one of the students that I volunteer at said, I said, oh, another student in another class said they knew this author. And the student goes, miss, he's capping. And then my <laughs> other, like, left. And then my other volunteer was like, what? And I was like, he said he's lying. He's capping. <laughs> I said, for real? You don't know cap? You think he's capping? He was like, he's capping. And then he Uh-oh. left. And I was like, I'm speaking back. That's why I get fist bumps now. I feel really cool. Oh, but, nice. Uh, <laughs> but that was a real translation. I didn't tell my fellow volunteer, oh, when he said he's capping, he said he's lying. And also he um, has committed tax fraud. It's like I just added a thing on it. That's what happens in this biblical mm-hmm. translation. It's a. They said in 1950, this JW is a translation. It's a rewrite. It's a rewrite. It's a, it's it's a rewrite. They did a reboot. (laughs) (laughs) Biblical scholar, minister, and author of the four major cults, Anthony Hokma, criticized the so-called translation, writing, Instead of listening to scripture and subjecting themselves wholly to its teaching as they claimed to do, they actually impose their own theological system upon scripture and force it to comply with their beliefs. 
The biased translation. Simply smuggled many of the peculiar teachings of the Watchtower Society into the Bible itself. Well, yeah, that's just, that's a rewrite then. You're not, it's not a modern translation. It's a different translation. Yeah, it's just like, you've just been inserting things into it. You're just like, Romeo, mm-hmm. Romeo, where for out there, Romeo? It's like, where are you, Romeo? Also, I really think that we should do things to reduce the national debt. It's like, <laughs> Wait, Romeo's what? like, Bitch, I wasn't talking about that. What do you? Where did that come from? I I'm don't like know. To read the translation. Like I don't think that was in there. I'm trying to get you to come out on this balcony and talk to me. We're not talking about national debt right now. What is happening? Uh, that Anthony Hokuma, the four major cults. People ask what they were: Christian Science, Mormonism, Seventh Day Adventist, and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses. According to this um, theologian, <laughs> he was he took he took umbrage as a person who studied the Bible. That these a lot of these religions had taken it and made it their own. Although Paris brought up a good point in his whatever theology class in college that on the first day the professor was like, "Everybody, I just want to ask, um, have you read the Bible?" And certain people raised their hands, and he was like, "Do you absolutely believe one hundred percent that the Bible is true?" And they all raised their hands, and he was like, "One at a time now, which Bible?" He was like, and even if you think it's the same Christian Bible, it's not the same. It's not. So that's the problem that you get into. It's like, it's true. It's true. It's true. Even this guy, it's true. It's true. He just, he didn't like how it connect, you know, how it compared to what he believed, but that's the, it's all just a, it's all just a reboot. And quite honestly, it's a reboot of also just someone else's writing. True. It's not as if there is proof positive that this is what happened no questions asked, full stop. And then someone elaborated on that. That in and of itself, the Bible, the original Bible is an elaboration. It's, it's stories. It's, uh, you know, metaphors and yeah, allegories. So to even say that's, I mean, that might've been the first one written, but that didn't mean it's necessarily right. So just write a new thing. Don't write that thing and change it a little. Just be like, this is all, this is what ours is. Right? I think the the problem always comes in with is who's the ultimate determiner of truth. And even if you say God, he can't actually talk to us. And even if he only talks to you, people don't believe you when you say that he talks to you. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's almost like we each get to determine what the truth is for ourselves. I would agree. The translation includes the concept that would become to be known as the two witness rule. Based on Deuteronomy 19.15, the JW translation reads, No single witness should rise up against any man respecting any error or any sin. At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses, the matter should stand good. Well, this becomes a problem because if a woman goes and says, Hey, this man abused me and no one else was around, well, you don't have two witnesses that witnessed that abuse. So as far as the governing body is concerned, it's a he said, she said situation. And guess who they're always going to side with? The he. So you're kind of screwed. It's It's this loophole they've put in to get around all of this stuff because how often does abuse occur with another third party standing there? It rarely, especially in what we'll talk about next episode, cases of child sexual abuse and particularly familial 
child sexual abuse. There's almost never a second witness. So you can understand how were you uh, a pedophile in jail as part of a prison outreach ministry system meeting with an elder from the Jehovah's Witnesses and you hear this, you might be inclined to sign up when you get out. Yep. And you are getting a free place to stay as long as you do the work and help in the kingdom hall and things like that. They had a systems for definitely recruitment and the pool from which they were pulling was not of the highest caliber of people, especially that should be going into a situation with children. Absolutely. Sinisterhood will be right back. Describing meaning to the reference to elder men in the Bible, leadership changed again in the early 70s. A 1972 publication of the Watchtower newsletter read, It is noteworthy that the Bible does not say that there was only one older man, one overseer in each congregation. Rather, it indicates that there were a number of such. In 1975, the leadership was officially transitioned from the president of the Watchtower Society to the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. The governing body, made up of eight men, is also sometimes referred to as the faithful and discreet slave, a reference to the book of Matthew. Because the leadership is divinely chosen and provided by God, Watchtower literature instructs members to listen and obey to the men in power as they would God himself. JWs believe that these men are anointed as the voice of God on earth. The publication Overseer of Jehovah's People reads, It is vital that we respond to the directions of the slave as we would to the voice of God because it is his provision. So now you have eight men who are all saying... Well, we're the mouthpiece for God, so we get messages from him, and then we'll tell you what they are. And they're all old white men who have the same beliefs and agree on stuff, so you don't have any kind of checks and balances or anybody like throwing out a difference of opinion when somebody comes to the governing body with a a matter of abuse well, they're all, they, you have eight, why have eight people when they're all one voice? It's pretty homogenous. No, certainly. And I think one of the eight is uh, non-white. And okay, wh- that's it. I looked them up. Good one for of the you. Eight, one of the eight is non-white. And it, it, that's the one, by the way, that said our brains are too small. So thanks for that, Mr. Hurd. So no racial or ethnic group makes up more than 40% of the group. So there's not really a majority majority. Between white members, Hispanic members, and black members, they're all around 30%. 36% white, 32% Hispanic, 27% black, 6% are other race or mixed race. This is according to the Pew Research Center. So given that makeup, it's very fascinating to me that it is a massively, it's mostly old white men. Mm -hmm. Like almost all old white men in charge. Yeah. Yeah. All in America. Jaina Lalich, an expert on cults, called this charisma by proxy where the governing body sets itself up as the mouthpiece of God. The governing body oversees all writing, printing, and distribution of the Watchtower publications, including pamphlets, newsletters, books, magazines, and a radio show. The only words to be relied upon by followers are those of God, dictated to and written down by the governing body. 
The mandates issued from the governing body via the magazines and newsletters cover almost every aspect of the witnesses' lives. And that's just it, too, is in addition to the hours of service and work they want you to do, because all the kingdom halls are built with volunteers. All Everything is manned by volunteers. This billion-dollar organization is run by volunteers. And... To see. Do not, so they don't get paid. They they are getting room and board, but all of their time, they all have jobs like cooking, cleaning, whatever. That it's they're essentially like they're free labor, but they're getting to live there. But by them living there, the place gets taken care of. And so my but what I'm getting at is where's all this money going? Yeah, I, and uh, we'll get to that in part two and part three with asset, asset shields that they've set up in place and the um, amount of money and things that go to governing body members as far as like free homes and things like that that are bought and paid for by the organization. But it's interesting that in addition to taking up everybody's time with, oh my gosh, you need to volunteer, you need to be doing more work. There is a, and two meetings a week. One of the second, one of the two meetings involves like a question and answer, like audience participation. So you're like, you can't just kind of like go to church and kind of sit in the back and kind of wait for it to be over. I mean, it's like people raising their hands and participating if the promotional JW videos that I watched are to be believed, but it definitely is a way to provide all this literature and all these mandates and be, that's just yet another way to control their lives of not to mention, if you have any other questions, you don't even have time to look anywhere else. So you might as well just look at awake and watchtower and your many, many, many books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The only information you're getting, it's an echo chamber. You just live in a bubble. And the good news, bad news of having that much information is that there's so much that almost none of them can go back and read all of it. And so a lot of the really horrible, shitty stuff that they've said throughout decades and decades are still out there and still available and still actively published on JW.org with no asterisk that says, hey, this was the 70s. You know, we've evolved our thinking. So if you just search something, it's like, God, feminism is ruining the family because that's the kind of shit that they published. To be fair, they still publish similar stuff to this day. But yeah. They still believe it. I don't think they're changing it because their beliefs haven't really changed. Not really. And it's just this, they're hiding in plain sight because it's such a mass of text that if someone did go down and that's deliverance at hand, that memoir, that's what he did. They said, oh, you're questioning so much. Do your own research. And he did. And he's like, oh, hey, I found this is this is a contradiction. This is a contradiction. This is a contradiction. Anyway, he got a nasty uh, letter that he couldn't serve in a position after that. When you do question and you do go through the mm-hmm. teachings, but all that says all the stuff they published, it's so much. And yeah, you publish so much and say, you got to read all this. That's a lot of uh, time that you're taking out of people's mm-hmm. lives. JWs believe the entire world outside their group is run by Satan. In order to be stronger than the devil, members are encouraged to pray to Jehovah, study his word, and associate with our brothers and sisters. Non-JWs are referred to as worldly people and are to be avoided at all costs unless a JW is witnessing to them. According to the JW doctrine, all worldly people will violently perish when Armageddon arrives. Well, a little bit of bad news for all of us. Yeah, I guess. uh, And, you know, I mean, when you grow up in a faith where it's just, and we'll get to more of the Armageddon stuff in a minute, but when your whole religion is founded upon any day we're all going to die in a fiery explosion, then goddamn, how can anybody relax and just find some peace? I, you know, usually people seek out religion as a form of comfort, peace, guidance, community. If I am being constantly told, 
everyone's going to die except us and it's up to you to save the entire world. That makes me immediately have an anxiety attack. Oh, yeah. And you're not the only one. And it's prevalent, especially the problem then comes in an anxiety inducing environment like this. The answer that comes from the elders when you tell them that you're having these feelings is, oh, you should come to more meetings. You should spend more time here. You should read more literature, which the literature then shows asteroids striking the earth, kids dying in a fire, whatever. And James Zimmerman's book, that's the kind of one of the breaking points for him and his wife leaving was their birth of their son and the feeling of, of James's wife just going, I just can't think about my infant baby perishing in the flames. And even if he did, you know, it just became too much for her with like the thought of then having her son grow up in that. And, and just, it gave her massive amounts of anxiety, everything about the Armageddon part. And, you know, you start to go see a therapist who says, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. The repeated references to the end of the world and anxiety is kind of wrecking you. Can you extricate yourself from that? And we'll see uh, more so in part two, like it's really hard to. Yeah. I think also when from the, the elders point of view, as soon as somebody starts to question it, of course their response is, oh, we need to come here more because they see an inkling of we could be losing them. They're, they're starting to kind of figure it out or have some questions. So we got to get them in here more and just beat them over the head with this even more without really addressing or answering questions. I mean, mm-hmm. if I ask a question and if I'm like, hey, Heather, what's two plus two? And you're like, four. I'm like, what is two plus two? You're like, four. I'm like, I heard the answer. I don't understand it. So Mm -hmm. you just continuing to tell me the same thing over and over doesn't make me learn it any better or feel Mm -hmm. better about it. I might memorize it and then all of a sudden just be like, all right, I guess two plus two is four. I'm not going to question it, even though I don't really understand how we got there. Right. But no one's really explaining anything. It's just this like regurgitation of information to where eventually you're like, I'm I'm just going to stop asking. This is beating my head against a wall. No, you're right. And it'd be as if you asked what's two plus two. And I said four and you said, I don't understand. And I said, go out and read every number all the way up to infinity. Just keep reading numbers and you'll get it. When you read numbers, you'll get it. Uh, But you're right as far as the elders thinking, oh God, we're losing somebody. And that's what happened. James's wife reached out, started reading forums of women that have postpartum depression, anxiety, new mom. She had a really traumatic situation in delivery. And so she wanted to talk to and connect to other people. And of course, sitting in a meeting as the years progressed, you know, the elders, suddenly Jehovah's got a lot of things to say about new technology that he never said before. That's a new modern translation that's make sure you stay away from the internet, stay away from comment sections. It's nothing but evil out there. And I think a mom who's found solace in the community of other mothers and understand none of them have said, come to the dark side. We're going to do a devil worshiping sin. You know, it's just like, oh, man, I'm really sorry that happened to you. She's like, oh, meanwhile, I go to church and it's like your child's going to burn in the apocalypse. Yeah. And why are you being told to stay away from something that actually has been helpful to you? But it's just interesting. You're right that the the elders and then the governing body, when they do their video messages, it's like, by the way, we meant to say, uh, don't go to any apostate, which is the outsider. Don't go to any apostate websites. They're, uh, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're uh, bad news. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> Considering the body a temple, the watchtower prohibits things like smoking and drunkenness. Witnesses are famous for not celebrating Christmas. A JW publication called What Does the Bible Say About Christmas? points to the pagan beginnings of things like Christmas lights, holly, mistletoe, and Christmas trees as reasons to avoid it. 
It also states that December 25th was likely chosen to coincide with winter solstice and not for any biblical reasons. Birthdays are also avoided due to their connection to paganism, while Thanksgiving is out too, as, quote, dedicated Christians should give thanks all year round, not just on one day. Former members often describe feelings of isolation in childhood social situations due to these beliefs. And what really got me, too, is on their website, on one of these pages talking about birthdays and not celebrating things and not celebrating Christmas, it said, here are some quotes from current JWs about how great this was. And one of them said, you know, I was really sad at first and I felt left out, but then I realized I had more events hanging out with witnesses than any of my worldly friends. And so I never even missed it or noticed it was gone. And it's just like... First of all, I don't think a real kid said that. No, and if they did, they're brainwashed. We have gotten so many emails from so many of y'all that have said this was so hard as a kid to be in school and not be allowed to um, have a cupcake that somebody brought. In some cases, one JW child in in a class preventing the entire class from being able to celebrate like Mm -hmm. the parents coming and saying to the school, you're going against our religious beliefs. If you force our child to participate in these things, therefore nobody gets to do it. And so the entire four-year-old class couldn't do birthdays while that child was in there. They couldn't do Christmases. They couldn't do, you know, Thanksgiving, put up decorations or, or say things And if you don't believe that and you don't want your kid to do that, that's up to you. You don't get the right to tell everyone else in the class not to do it, though, because that's up to them. You know, if 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 they can't force your kid to take the cupcake, then you don't get to tell everybody else's kid that they can't eat the cupcake. Right. And I and it's hard for the kid because no matter what, that kid is isolated and other. And and through the fault of the other kids in the class or his own parents or whatever, it sucks that anybody has felt othered. But to write on their publications like, well, it's not it's not harmful. It's fine. And to hear story after story after story of I really did feel isolated. I mm-hmm. felt like a weirdo and other the kids, especially God help you if you're the child of that parent who came in and wrecked birthdays and you know holiday celebrations for the whole class. And it gets out that we're not having cupcakes uh, you know, about once a month because little Susie's mom and dad came up here and threw a fit. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that kid's going to be ostracized. Yeah. And, for, and yeah, I mean, really, at that age, I don't even think they know enough to know, they don't know what's why. happening, but the parents certainly do. And and they might not understand, the children might not understand, but they know what it feels like. Like you said, right, wrong, indifferent, whatever you believe. That I, I, I'm not even Christian, but we do Christmas, you know? I mean, we yeah. do presents and all that stuff. It's just kind of, I had a, a friend growing up, uh, Jewish. She loved to come over to our house and help decorate the tree and stuff. It's not like her parents prevented her from doing that because it was like a fun thing she didn't get to do in her in her own house. So you're taking these things away from kids that maybe to you, you're like, well, it's paganism. To the kid, it's a chance to get to hang out with their friends and feel like a sense of social acceptance or even equality. Like, you know, you're like, Oh, we're bonding over this. This is now something that we had fun doing that brings us closer. And then 
that's how friendships are developed. Mm -hmm. But instead, you're pulling them out of all of that. And the only friends they're allowed to have are other JWs. And so you have a really, really narrow view of the world. Mm -hmm. Well, and you kind of almost don't even know what you're missing until you do grow up. And if you make it out of it or whatever, looking back, kind of saying, no, that's a a large part of my childhood that I'm missing those certain celebrations. And nine times out of 10 in classrooms nowadays, it's like a winter celebration. So it kind of includes everybody. But to be be like, you can't have a snowflake cookie because it's a winter celebrate. You know, Mm -hmm. we're celebrating something that's got to be hard. And of course, now, as we look throughout the rest of these episodes, you'll look back and think, wow, the not being able to celebrate Christmas really is a blip on the radar as far as child abuse in this organization. But it's definitely one that's, I think, yeah, when you talk to the, the grownups, the wistfulness and the sadness that they have in their eyes of like, yeah, I didn't get any of that. Yeah. JWs are also instructed not to accept blood transfusions. Their literature states, there are sound medical reasons to avoid blood transfusions. More important, though, God commands that we abstain from blood because of what it represents is sacred to him. And cites two Bible verses, Leviticus 17.11 and Colossians 1.20. There are documented cases of JW parents refusing life-saving blood transfusions for their minor children, sometimes leading to court interventions, child abuse investigations, or, worst of all, the child dying. Some JW parents get around the rule by appointing a non-JW person to provide consent to the transfusion on their behalf. The Watchtower organization has claimed publicly that the choice of blood transfusion is a matter of conscience, though the literature on its website does not mention this option. And that's kind of what the Watchtower organization will do to distance itself from controversial stances is to say, well, we think we are saying that God is saying allergenic blood transfusion and preoperative autologic blood deposits like they're they use like the technical medical terms. God doesn't like these specifically, like these really specific medical terms. But publicly, they'll say, oh, but it's a matter of conscience. So each JW, it's like a case, each witness, it's a case by case basis. And it's a matter of conscience. We'll tell you right now that God hates it. It's bad and God doesn't <laughs> want it. It's God doesn't want it. It literally says, but Jehovah's Witnesses on a, they have a page on their website that's dedicated to medical practitioners who are treating witnesses. And it's for a non-witness medical practitioner to get information. And at the very top in big letters, it says Jehovah's Witnesses believe that allergenic blood transfusion, i.e. whole blood, red blood cells, white cells, platelets, and plasma, and preoperative autologous blood deposits, PAD, for later reinfusion are prohibited by several biblical passages. And then there's a a little video on the side that's like an MD, a doctor, and it says why blood transfusions actually are kind of bad by science. So it's interesting. Suddenly you're like, but also God said it and also science said it too. Well, (laughs) that doctor should not be in practice. And I imagine he is a JW and probably all of his clients are JW and that's how you stay in business. Right. I I take – a lot of umbrage with this, but what I was talking to you about the other day is when you are practicing JW and you believe all of these things and you practice everything, but then all of a sudden the time comes when your kid's dying and the only thing that's going to save them is a blood transfusion. And all of a sudden you're like, God, all right, 
go get our neighbor. We're going to have her sign off on this and we're going to transfer something so we don't have to actually like approve what the transfusion is and you can do it. Somewhere you have become aware that this is fucked up. Yes. And that... So your your uh, willingness to believe and dedicate yourself to your faith does have a limit, and I'm as it should. That if it comes to saving your kid's life or believing in something that these people are telling you, choose your kid every single time. So on some level, there are extreme situations where even the most dedicated start to question it. And I think that that is very telling and can be extrapolated out further. I also think they put that loophole in there. So if all of a sudden one of the elders needs a blood transfusion and he's 89 years old, but they need him to stay alive so God can speak through him. Well, now they found themselves a loophole. Right. It's interesting. When the going gets tough, there happens to be a workaround. Mm -hmm. So tell me how Leviticus, whatever, saying that blood transfusions, that verse, we've got loopholes, we've got ways to get around it. But if I'm gay, then all of a sudden my family can't talk to me forever. Mm -hmm. That's an that to me. That's where this fails. The whole thing collapses. You it can does. say my neighbor is a JOW and they're really nice people, but the real fact of the matter is they were sold a bill of goods that was bullshit. This whole thing's bullshit. It's made up by Charles Taze Russell. And you're exactly right. Whenever the ha- whenever you see there something that's a, more important and what's more important than religion, most for most people, it's either their own family or saving themselves. That's usually the only two things that you hold higher. And you're right. When the going gets tough, all of a sudden it's well, I bet we could, we'll work around this. And they're going to have to because countries, Japan came out earlier this year in February this year and said, there's guidelines that are coming out right now. The health labor and welfare ministry straight up says it is reported as abuse. If they're, if a JW parent refuses a blend transfusions for its child, they said it's basically, it is denying necessary medical treatment to children. It's the same thing. We will be reporting it and not all. It's interesting to watch an American created religion created with a country that has the first amendment and this right to freedom of practice, you know, freedom of religion to see how it fares in other countries. And we'll see you next episode. The shunning ain't going too well for them in other countries because not everybody, Japan, Belgium, all these other countries don't have as much of, they don't give religion as much leeway we do in the United States. So it is interesting then too. Oh, you're operating over there. Oh, well, how interesting we have little, little workarounds that, that we're Mm -hmm. doing. Sinisterhood will be right back. The Watchtower prohibits its members from holding office, voting, or serving in the military. The governing body also cautions against college and higher education. One copy of Awake in 1971 warned, In the case of many young folks, college is providing another kind of education, an education in revolt and violence. Many are the parents who sent their children to college with high hopes, only to be shocked to see the way they turned out. Well, I mean, mine would probably relate to that last sentence. (laughs) But they weren't JWs. (laughs) So anybody can send your kids to college and be shocked by the way things turned out. You don't have to be a JW. And it's not because of what I was being taught. It was because the amount of partying I was capable of at such a young age. (laughs) 
Uh, but no, that is interesting to, uh, again, with the military and now you see higher education of an insular group trying to keep its members insular at every stretch or at every turn. You know, oh, well, now all of a sudden they're tur- the kids are turning 18. Well, they shouldn't join the military and they shouldn't go to college either. Well, shit, what am I supposed to do? Don't worry, they'll tell you. Mm-hmm. While this seems outdated now, the thinking has not changed much. On a 2021 episode of Australia's Four Corners News Program, former governing body member Anthony Morris III says in one very recent video, Higher education often instills a sense of superiority and self-reliance that is in direct opposition to the Christian personality. We will not need doctors or lawyers after Armageddon, but we will need carpenters and plumbers and similar construction trades. I'm sorry. But I think doctors might be at the top of who I want on my team after Armageddon. Yeah, I can lawyers, see. Fuck lawyers, I get it. I get it. Maybe them. we don't need lawyers. <laughs> nah, maybe one. And we have a judge. You're good. We got one. We're fine. We're fine. But doctors, absolutely. Would we Certainly. also need carpenters and plumbers? Yes. But don't besmirch. Like, higher education, there's... All of these things are important to the infrastructure we have set up as a society. Yeah, but they don't care because they're an insular society. So when they say we won't need doctors and lawyers after Armageddon, what they mean is we as a billion dollar organization, we are not going to hire you as a doctor or a lawyer. And we uh, for damn sure assume you're not going to volunteer your time as a doctor or lawyer. But boy, we got a lot of kingdom halls to build. And wouldn't it be Mm. great if you knew how to lay carpet and put in cabinets? And, you know, there's a lot of toilets, a lot of 200 people come and do a service. We need toilets that run. So it's just like, to me, it's so um, hypocritical, not even hypocritical. It's sort of blatant, but also insidious to manipulate. Yeah, I was just say to manipulate people's entire lives. They're mm-hmm. one precious life and you're stealing them by filling their heads with stuff like this from a young age and saying, don't, don't, you know, little Jane, you know, I know you really like to work on animals maybe someday you'd like to be a veterinarian but all the animals will be burned up in the apocalypse <laughs> yes. so stop that and just That's, learn what are you to gonna speak. do what yeah. do you just operate in a rock idiot yeah. go learn how to be a plumber well also if you just are kidding so- go be a wife <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually sorry you can't do anything that requires any type of brain power because your tiny little head doesn't let you You're do shrunk. anything You're other than womanhood. care for your children which, first of all, I would like to argue that between plumbing and raising a family of 12, you probably need a little more brain power on a daily basis to do the latter. Because kids don't fucking stop. You can stop hammering for a second to get your bearings, but you know what you can't stop? A fucking three-year-old who wants to have monster cereal every night at dinner, and okay. you're like, buddy, we can't do that again tonight. And then it's just perpetual screaming for 10 minutes. And then what kind of monster cereal did he end up getting? <laughs> he is really into the, um, it's like, I, oh, is it Monster Matt? It's, they're green ghosts, and then the marshmallows are also ghosts. Oh, nice. I mean, why wouldn't you want to eat ghost cereal? <laughs> but you're right, though. But like a plumber could be like, well, it's 530. I'm clocking out. And you're like, I got to live here now. So yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. I have no starter, starter stop time. This is just... My life. And also, if you are staunchly against doctors and what they provide, then I suppose you wouldn't care if they were around in the Armageddon. 
Yeah, I mean, that clinical page, to briefly go back to that doctor thing, their clinical, the page for clinicians is interesting because it is cherry-picked medical literature that sort of supports their idea. But then also on the side, there's a little um, note that says, contact local representatives of the Hospital Liaison Community Network in your country. This free service is available 24 hours a day to healthcare professionals who treat witness patients. Free presentations can also be organized at your institution. So they're willing to come in and do a presentation. But also they have this like hotline that either practitioners or the congregants can call to say, well, how do I get around this? So you have a medical care hotline. So yeah. clearly respect doctors somewhat-ish. Like you said, if it came down to a governing body member, like you have leukemia, we're going to have to do a platelet infusion for you. Do you really think he's going to say no? no? Absolutely fucking not. No, he wants to live forever so he can keep telling people what to do. Mm-hmm. Cult programmer expert Rick Allen Ross shared his thoughts on the discouragement of higher education with ABC News Four Corners, saying... In my opinion, they discourage people because in higher education, people are encouraged to critically analyze things, to look at historical facts objectively, to look at the evidence. And this is seen by Jehovah's Witnesses as threatening because much of their history and their beliefs are not predicated on things that are strong foundationally. I mean, I can't say it better myself, Rick Ross. Yeah, and he's right. And that's what the crux of James Zimmerman's book the emotional part of leaving the witness, but also just he was he has obsessive compulsive disorder and it wasn't diagnosed or treated because he was a young witness. And then when they tell you a person with OCD, go find the evidence yourself. That man found the evidence. I mean, so he's just going page by page by page and line by line going, this doesn't match. This is bullshit. This is bullshit. And is then, you know, ousted from the group, you know, from the kingdom hall he was at. So yeah, Rick Ross is right. You don't need to be taught to go to college and critically analyze text. Because if you do that, you're going to be like, this is bullshit and wrong. For sure. You're also like you said with the military, meeting people from all walks of life all over the country, different backgrounds, different religions, you're exposed to a lot of worldly knowledge. I mean, they refer to people that aren't JWs as worldly. And mm -hmm. I don't think that's a bad word. I've never used that in a negative connotation, except I for when they speak of us like that. I know when I was a kid, my mom was like, she travels. She went to university. She's very worldly. She's very worldly. She's very learned. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like considered a good thing, but not to them. No. Mm-mm. If a witness does not obey these mandates and is found to have committed a sin, they can be brought before a judicial commission of three elders, always men. The offending witness is asked questions, which one former elder told Four Corners would often humiliate those being questioned. He sometimes sat across from young women and minor girls who reported abuse, claims that were often ignored under the two-witness rule. The victims would be asked intimate details about their experiences in front of these men, sometimes with no support person present. Former member Renee Pickles was subjected to a commission like this one. She told Four Corners it was the worst experience of her life. An elder is often, I mean, it's just that. They're obviously at least in their 30s, likely more in their 40s, 50s, 60s and up. And you're down there trying to say, intimate sexual experiences that were non-consensual in many cases, or in a, the case of two JWs I knew personally, they were consensual. It was teenagers making out, being teenagers. And you're sitting there and an old man's like, did you touch his penis? Mm -mm. How did you, did you feel sexually excited when you touched his penis? Mm -mm. Did he touch your breasts? 
Did you feel sexually excited? When, like, you're asking a 14-year-old girl about this? You're fucking nasty, man. It's essentially um, predatory behavior, but in person and under the guise of faith. And that's yes. more insidious than someone on a chat room trying to pretend that there's somebody they're not. Yes, it's fucking terrible because also you're a person who wants to do good. You know, most of the kids that are in this or James Zimmerman put a thing. He had written as an 11-year-old like a poem about how when he grew up, all he wanted to do was go and work at Bethel, the headquarters, because mm. it was like heaven on earth. So to then be hauled in that you're some monster for doing what fucking teen. These two kids, the boy fingered the girl. Oh, my God. They're high school freshmen making out fingering each other. It sucks. I mean, not sucks. Like, if it's your kid, you probably don't want them doing that. But kids be kids. We all do shit. But then to have your child brought in and talk about their intimate sexual experiences with grown-up adults, sometimes with no other adults in the room, is disgusting. Just full stop. And this guy that had to do it was like, yeah, when I was sitting in there, I felt really bad. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I bet you fucking did. We received several emails from people that have been brought before elders as teens or children because of stuff that they've done or discussed how um, rampant this practice was within the kingdom halls and that they were taught from very young age that any kind of self-exploration prohibited, any type of masturbation prohibited, talking about your sexuality is prohibited, um, sex, obviously, sex, masturbation, off limits, sex was only allowed within marriage. And then in even looking at someone and having a lustful thought was a sin. And if you did that, you were supposed to go and talk to an elder and all, and, you know, if you did something like, um, watch porn, you had to go confess to an elder. And we've received emails like that where young women, had it such on their conscience that they had had watched porn that they eventually felt I have to go talk to an elder about this. So I, you know, am not disfellowshipped. I'm not shunned. And the elders that are sent to your house is your, uh, one of them is your best friend's dad. And then you got to sit across from him and tell him about the porn you watched. And then he asks, well, did you masturbate while watching this porn? I want to die. Of, to which, of course, you're going to say, um, yeah, that's kind of why we're here. You know, I mean, it was porn. I wasn't watching it for the plot. So <sighs> that's a conversation you then have to have to feel absolved of your quote unquote sins. Kill me right now. I would rather die in Armageddon, 100%. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would yeah, lie. Yeah, yeah. I would just, yeah. That's like horrible. But imagine being so indoctrinated that, and that's the trap of this. And we'll talk more about it in part two about how the judicial commissions then play into the rampant sexual abuse. But you're tricked because you're told yeah. if you sin, go tell an elder and he'll talk to you about it. And so you've been tricked that this is a person you can trust. So you go up and tell him. And then all of a sudden, your best friend's dad and two buddies of his that look like they'd be at home on a golf link are suddenly sitting on your sofa asking you to describe intimate details of you masturbating. And oh my God, that is fucking harmful. It's just harmful. It just is. Not only are you going to have to have that conversation on the couch with the elders, but probably in 25 years when you don't talk to your family anymore, you're going to have to have a conversation with a therapist. Um, and maybe this is me being cynical and dark, but I think that if you got a bunch of old men listening to a bunch of young people talk about their fantasies and perhaps even sexual encounters, that 
there's a reason they want those young people telling them those things. It's probably yeah, to exciting and titillating and it probably goes in a little thing people like to call the spank bank. Mm -hmm. So then later when they're, you know, committing the very sins for which you are going to burn in hell for, they've got all these stories of these young kids. It's just fucking disgusting. It Honestly, it makes me sick to my stomach to think of these men looking at these women, making them describe children, children like, well, what did it, what did you feel like? Well, what did you do then? Well, and then what did he do? And how did that feel? You're essentially like having a, you know, penthouse read out loud to you by a minor. Yes. It's like, a, it, to me, it's, you are re-sexually abusing that child. Yes, and yes, it, yes. To me, in the case of the people I knew where like they were 13 and 14, they were, like I said, freshmen in high school to say that's a consensual act she wanted to do and he want they wanted to do with each other and it was consensual and everybody was happy to then have that you're now hauled in front of and have to discuss your sexuality to old people that are not qualified by virtue of anything. It's not a therapist. It's not a police officer. It's not a doctor. It's not a teacher. It's not a counselor. It is literally an old man that your parents hauled you in front of is abuse. Full stop. It just is. Oh yeah. And the guy that quit the, the XJW that quit and told four corners like, Oh yeah. As soon as I sat through that, I was like, Oh shit. Like you go, you go in and that's the problem I think is the vast majority of, of JWs are just like, do 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 do. This is lovely. Everyone's nice. We're all friends. I worked with a JW who I loved was one of the nicest people I ever knew. But what you don't know is then when you do step in shit, it ruins your whole life. And it's not until you end up down that path that you know. Yeah. 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 And you know, so many of these emails have mentioned how when you have to repress your sexuality, like that, like normal human urges, normal biological urges that are expected and common mm -hmm. there's nothing to be embarrassed about well when you repress that then all, it manifests in a lot of unhealthy ways that's when you start having thoughts of suicidal ideation or, or self-harm or you know acting out in other dangerous ways a lot of them said for a lot of their friends they just got married super young just so they could have sex yeah. And we'll talk about it in some of the other ones. I think that would all that also is a creates a an a situation ripe for pedophiles to when yeah. you have a repressed sexual situation and uh, unfettered access to children. So. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The commissions can determine punishment, also called reproof. If only the offending witness in the committee knows of the sin, the witness can receive private reproof. This may involve certain acts like writing apology letters or doing godly works. Public reproof involves an announcement to the congregation about the person's punishment. The offending witness must still show up to all meetings, but those in attendance are not to speak to them, look them in the eye, or interact with them in any way. The reproving ends once the person is sufficiently repentant in the view of the elders. And I found this very shocking because the two people I knew that the one of the two people I knew had made out or whatever. One of them had told a friend. Therefore, when the elders found out, it become became a public reproof to where, again, imagine you're a freshman in high school and an old 65 year old man says, uh, attention, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the meeting this week. I want to let you know that brother Joe and sister Mary engaged in sexual relations mm. And they'll be sitting in reproof for six weeks. So please make sure you don't talk to them or make eye contact with them. They'll be at the back of the church. So I asked them, I said, so you had to go. 
every week for six weeks. And he was like, yeah, I had to go. I had to sit there. People don't talk to you. We couldn't talk to each other. I was like, so then you had to sit next to the person that you fingered and that fingered you. And now everybody knows. And you have to sit in the back. It shouldn't shock you that either of these people, neither of these people are JWs anymore, to my knowledge. The fact that as a teen, then you're sitting there, everyone's staring at you. And one girl in a documentary goes, yeah, when I got reproofed, I just didn't go anymore. They came to her house and goes, by the way, for the reproof to work, you really have to show up so we can ignore you in person. She had, her parents made her go. It's because it, what it's a public shaming. That's, yes. That's the punishment is being shamed. And they want you to feel that shame and hurt and embarrassment because they think that will make you not do it again. Uh, newsflash, that's not how shit like this works. It's, no. you know, it's, if you don't talk about things and if you don't get to do the things that your body is like, craving to do because that's your hormonal that's where you are where you're at then you're Ain't your baby yeah and like if that's the worst thing your kids are doing man i don't know i mean like it's do you want your kid finger banging somebody or do you want them to not be around because you're having to shame them in the back of a church and even their own family won't speak to them for six weeks uh, yeah I don't have a kid, but I was a teenager and uh, not too long ago. And I think a thing is sitting down and talking to them about what happened, why it's good, why it's bad, what you should be at watch out for. Why are you having these feelings? What made you choose that? Whatever. But having some random old man holler at him and then sit in the back and shun for six weeks. Like I said, neither of them remembers anymore. So that should tell you something about uh, how effective yeah. it is. This obedience to men is further indoctrinated in the home. Jehovah's Witnesses subscribe to the concept of male headship. Men should oversee the family, while women are to be a complement and helper to their husbands, submissive to the man's headship. As such, women are not appointed to high-ranking or decision-making positions in the organization. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it says, what should the wife do? Acknowledge that your husband is now your God-appointed head. If you honor your husband, you honor God. If you reject his headship, you reveal how you feel, not only about your husband, but also about God and his requirements. So now, if I tell my husband, you know, honey, I don't think I want to do that. Suddenly, you're going against the Lord himself. Oh, yeah. Which means that you, the husband has all the power because it's not yeah. you saying, well, I think you need to go do the dishes. It's, it's God said it is my, I need to be out in the garage studying the Bible while you get in there and tend to all of these things. I mean, again, it's like you can't argue with it because if your whole existence is based around your faith, well, to argue with your faith would mean you're arguing with everything you know about you. You know, I mean, that's, you have like a identity crisis at that point. I mean, it does. Yeah, because especially the sad part is somebody who wants a relationship with God. I think we're all entitled to have whatever kind of relationship we want and to have it as manipulated and used to control your behavior in this way, especially your house, like every second of your waking life is fucking insidious. Yeah, no. And then at the same time, there's nothing stopping those men from going and doing a bunch of stuff that they're not supposed to, but because they're the mouthpiece of God and the head of the family, nobody's going to tell them no. There's a reason why. Lord, me and the Lord have an understanding. It's like, well, that worked for Jake Blues, but just <laughs> like, you can't just say, just like God, God told me it was chill. It's fine. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Sinisterhood will be right back. 
The ultimate punishment for a faithful witness who has sinned is disfellowshipping, a process in which a member is removed from the organization by a formal letter. A disfellowshipped witness can be eligible for reinstatement only after showing sufficient repentance. However, if they refuse to repent, the former member will lose all contact with their prior family members who remain in the group. JW.org states, If a baptized witness makes a practice of breaking the Bible's moral code and does not repent, he or she will be shunned or disfellowshipped. One former member told Four Corners she felt like an alien that had been dropped on another planet after being disfellowshipped. Having been born and raised in the faith, when witnesses are no longer allowed to contact family, they are left with zero support system. Young former witnesses are particularly vulnerable. Actually, uh, Donald Glover, Childish Gambino, talked about in an interview or two, has talked about being raised as a JW. I don't know for sure, but it, it to me, I think probably his family is still related because he doesn't speak outright negatively about it. But he mentions this feeling of like he felt alien. He's like, there were so many pop culture things that I just didn't know and I had to rediscover when I got older. But he at least still has maybe still has some contact with the family. But for if you've been booted, kicked out for saying, and I'm going to live my life like this and I don't care. Or from saying, my wife wants to go to therapy and she's going to go to therapy and she's going to get on the internet for her support groups. She just is. And it's like, well, you're really choosing sin, James. So it sounds like you and Sarah need to quit. And the, and I'm talking about deliverance at hand, that memoir. And as soon as he and his wife said, you know, we're questioning some things. I myself have done the research. The Watchtower literature makes these issues, you know, I have issue with this Watchtower literature. And my wife literally wants to harm herself because she's so depressed and anxious. I'm doing this for the good of my family. I sure hope we can still be friends. And he copies and pastes wholesale emails he got from other members that are like, I'm sorry, you're choosing the devil. And Mm. uh, I'm sorry to see that you'll be annihilated in the Armageddon. You know, it was nice knowing you. And it's like someone that's been your friend for 25 years that you would call them if, you know, anything happened. That's like your number one guy. The second you go, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this. They're like, you're done. Mm -hmm. You're done. Though some witnesses may suffer via constraints on their behaviors and isolation from loved ones, others flourish and even decide to take positions at Bethel, the worldwide headquarters in upstate New York, helping to pump out frightening literature about the impending end of the world. However, one eager ministerial servant uncovered a decades-long cover-up of abuse within the Watchtower organization that went deeper than anyone could have imagined. So what do we think? Yeah, we haven't even got to the worst part, and this has already been an hour and some change of. Yeah, we uh, one of the we've talked a lot about their beliefs. Probably like the overarching thing of all their beliefs is Armageddon and the end of times is nigh, and we have so much to talk about for that that we're going to put it in part two along with um, what this one whistleblower uncovered that has, I mean showed what everyone has assumed, but now there's receipts. There's so many receipts and through fine, you know, that the XJW community, I have to say is one of the most beautiful online communities I've ever seen. One of the most accepting 
thoughtful, kind. If you need anything, I've been here. There's a big Reddit XJW community. There's a website called avoidjws.org. And it's funny because if you Google just the first name of any of the governing body members, most of the time, avoid JWs is the first Google result. It's like higher up than the actual JWs website. But it is that was by uh, another former member who said, I want to be a landing page for people who feel isolated, who do feel that dropped like an alien into a new world of what can I do to help you reintegrate into society? So for as much of a community as their the JW.org website tries to make it seem like it's a loving community with happy families, when you peel just a little bit of the veneer off, you just see that it's, you know, as insidious as one could imagine on a microcosm, wholly controlled billion dollar organization. Like, of course, it's there's corruptions and of course there's manipulations. Uh, but it's been interesting. Some of the non-JW listeners that heard we were going to cover this, you know, kind of to the side, like, oh, I just thought it was a religion. Like, it's kind of hiding in plain sight that we oh, see yeah, them on our street definitely. corners. They come knocking on our doors. And for the most part, all of this is hidden. And it's just a happy, nice community. Well, I think it's even on their website, a nice, happy community, as long as you follow the exact rules and blueprint of the type of person that they think is an upstanding community member, which means you have to be subordinate in your household. The man is in charge. Like, don't have any lustful thought. It's like these impossible expectations for most people to live up to, but it's the perfect thing for if you're looking for a place where you can have power, control, the ability and opportunity to abuse at will, and no one question that, then this is designed perfectly for you. It definitely is. And, you know, that, that uh, counterpoint might be, well, that's every organization, right? If you don't follow our rules, you can't stay. But the problem is, is this is an organization into which many vulnerable people are brought. Mm-hmm. And not only or children. Born. Or born. I'll say not only children that are born into it, but when they go out proselytizing and you are getting people into it and you are, you know, getting a lot of buy-in, this isn't advertised. And if the only way that member that witnesses could know any of this stuff is by leaving or by breaking the rules and reading apostate websites, but it's much like any cult you've set it up that there is this, uh, unquestionable leadership body, right? These eight men. So you can't question why they said, don't go on the internet. You just can't. And then the rules that come out oftentimes seem to be not for anyone's good, but for further control and consolidation of power. And so when, you know, you just kind of see it and go, well, this is bullshit. Like you're making up the rules as you go. Like, don't look at internet comments though. It's like, yeah, cause your shit doesn't su- stand up to scrutiny. So I have all respect for religions who are like, yeah, look into it, go out, ask questions, talk to other people, come back. If you're not feeling it, that's okay. But when you have one that's like, we're going to come knocking on your door. If you don't show up to come sit in the back and be shunned for six weeks, I just, that to me, that is not following the tenets of a a natural religion. You have now taken on the characteristics of a cult. And if you don't want people to call you a cult, then those characteristics, uh, you either keep doing those and you have to accept the label or say, oh my gosh, you know what? We have seen that these practices truly do harm our members and we are here to serve God. We're here to serve God's people. And that's who, by love, you know, love thy neighbor as thyself, as myself. I wouldn't want somebody to sit in front of me and tell me, explain second by second masturbation, especially not if they're a kid. 
So, you know, let's start acting in in more in the image, but it's the talking out of two sides of the mouth of like, oh, well, we're just a real biblically based organization. No, you fucking aren't. You wrote your own shit and you follow your own shit. That's fine. Just admit it. And you wrote your own shit to serve yourself. uh, Men. Yeah. And men. men. Mostly. Well, and like, it, it seems like there's diversity within, but the only people for the most part making the decisions are still white men. So even within when the majority isn't even like, oh, the majority of people that follow this religion are white, therefore more white people will be represented in the elders. That's not even the case. But like everything, that is the case. Right. Well, and it's like it is a organization that comes from a country where traditionally and hopefully things are shifting but traditionally a wealthy white man is going to be who you submit to and who you're supposed to submit to so it stands to reason that then the literature that follows and the practices that follow therefrom are meant to support white supremacy white patriarchy so it shouldn't be shocking like i said if you want to continue and thrive as a religion either you change or you stick to it. And the sad part is, is an organization like this, especially when we're getting into part two and part three with the massive amount of assets and money part, you want to hang on to power. You always want to hang on to power. And so if the goal is truly bring more people into the Lord, help humanity, do good works like Jesus said, that's not what they're doing. If the goal is by all means support the Watchtower organization and protect it at all costs, that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. So they're just, if you want to, be that. If you want to be a Christian loving open organization, be that. If not, then, st- you know, don't confuse everybody and say like, oh, we're just like you. We believe the same thing like you. And don't knock on my fucking you door know. either because I'm never going to do box. business at my front door <laughs> unless I'm picking up my DoorDash. I'm not yeah. going to even then, do it. leave it. Yeah. You don't have to talk. Even then, I don't want to like have to deal with somebody. But to I think like um when you're ministering door to door in a way like that and children are at home by themselves or, you know, vulnerable people and stuff, maybe occasionally somebody knocks on a door and somebody finds everything they needed and they they're saved and great. But with an organization like this, I certainly hope not because they're the um, positives that the JWs tout can be found in many other places that don't have all these negatives and hate and vitriol and isms of multiple kinds and phobias that are just, you can't question they're to be accepted. And if you fall under any of the categories, you better pray, pray, pray. And if it doesn't pray it away, then you just should shut up. Yeah, that kind of thing where you're seeing people fundamentally for who they are being punished repeatedly and ostracized and separated from family. That's when you say, why is JW a cult? To me, that's why. That for someone's fundamental existence, whether they be a a woman, a smart woman who wants to go to college and your your behavior is controlled by this, you know, and you have a natural predilection towards healing that maybe you were going to be a doctor and to be told, no, no, no. This is and so pushing people just against nature, like that's your one precious life. That's what gets me is that like we only have one life to live, and it's so sad to me that so many kids and so many people, their lives are st- essentially stolen from them in this situation. And that's how a lot of the former members, particularly the ones that 
suffered abuse feel like their whole lives were stolen from them. I never got Mm -hmm. a birthday. I never got a Christmas. And on top of that, I was horribly treated. And whenever I complained about it, I was told it was either my fault or shut up about it. And then when I left, I lost all my family and all my friends. My entire family. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like it only gets worse. In the Four Corners episode, there is a former member who was born into it. And even though he was questioning the practice and stuff when he had his own kids, he still raised his own kids. But he said he remembered when he was a kid growing up, all he ever wanted to do was play soccer. And his parents just wouldn't let him because they that's taking away time that you should be reading the Bible. That's taking away time you should be witnessing and and yeah, blah, blah, blah. And he felt like that's all he ever wanted to do was just be a kid and play soccer. And he said he was witnessing one Saturday morning with his like 10 and 12 year old boys. And the guy that answered the door was like, said to the kids, like, wouldn't y'all rather be out playing soccer this morning instead of going door to door? And that the guy, the father said it just hit him like a ton of bricks. And of course, without missing a beat, he said his 10 year old son is like, Oh no, we love coming out and meeting new people and talking to new people, which is even more heartbreaking than if he had said, yes, God, I wish we were at the playground right now because he's been conditioned Mm -hmm. to think that this is normalized and that, you know, um, it sounds like a rehearsed response. A normal 10 year old isn't going to say, oh no, I would much rather be doing this. But if you're told this is what you say, and this is why we like doing this. And the dad said after that, he was like, we can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do to my own kids what was done to me and he stopped you know he yeah. because he was like i want my kids to be able to do shit that a kid should be able to do and not yeah. take that from them because you look at that no that heartbreak that recognition right of like oh yeah you probably do wish that but you want to make daddy and mommy proud yeah. and happy and you have to also if you don't make jehovah happy by preaching for him he you're gonna die in armageddon and the person whose door you just knocked on is gonna die as well so yeah vital to get out there but you're right i think that there's something to be said for these parents who then who were raised in it growing up and then seeing their own kid and in deliverance at hand james zimmerman and his wife were like it was the their baby's first birthday and they're driving home from like not a birthday party because they can't have a party they can't have cake but they just happen to have dinner with her parents that night but then on the way home he said something inside of him and he's like i looked at my little boy and was like i want you to have the whole world and he just looked at his wife and went I'm stopping at the grocery store and getting a cake. And he said that she just lit up and was like, you, we're doing it because yeah. as a wife, you can't question your husband. True. She said, I've been thinking about it all day, but I didn't think I should say anything to oh. you. And he said, then my heart's broken because my inno- intimacy with my wife is now being damaged that my mm-hmm. wife can't tell me her desire because of fear or whatever. And he's like, Oh my God, please tell you, tell me these things. And they stopped and got a cake and had a, you know, a, it was silly. Yeah. He's like, we watched our one-year-old like put his hand in cake and put it on his face that he said, we looked outside the world didn't end, Armageddon didn't come. And you know, you just go to sleep like for the, first time in a long time like happy and you're like oh doing this worldly apostate thing actually brought close intimacy in my family and joy and a connection of like the miracle of life of like one year ago what's more spiritual than that of you and i got together in a year ago created life like thank god thank the universe thank everything but then he thought my next thought was like oh god no one can find out oh yeah you're like well i can't put any of these pictures on instagram because yeah that's true <laughs> yeah. Well, i mean what am i even talking about but you can't even you know share that because mm-hmm. of of the fear so 
you're having to live in secrecy and hide the things that make you happy, which I mean, can be said for many things within this cult. Like if you're, if you're gay, you have to hide it. If you're any, you know, anything other than. Yeah. If you have a nonconforming gender identity. Yeah. Something like that, then God you help have you. To anything hide it. like that. Yeah. 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 It's uh, and we'll get into a lot more of that in the next two episodes and um, how, when you have a whole organization built on that, um, it doesn't end well for a lot of people. Sadly, it does sadly, not. very, very sadly. So we will talk more about all of that in the next two. And if you've keep the emails coming there, I mean, I got several today, so I'm, I'm saving all of them. I'm about to go through and reply to a lot of you and ask what you're comfortable with us discussing on the air. So for those that do send in new ones, just let us know, like, if you're okay with us talking about it on the air, if we need to, I mean, we're not saying names or anything anyways, but if it's something you just want us to know, but it's just for our knowledge, then please let us know that so we don't share it. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to share everybody's story, but only to the extent it is safe for us to do so. Absolutely. Yes. And we sincerely appreciate everybody reaching out and sharing these things with us because doing that is bringing up, you know, your own trauma and stuff and you're having to relive some things. And for many, that is very uncomfortable and hard. So thank you for being willing to do that to help others essentially. Cause every single one of these emails is, I know exactly what they went through. I went through it. I can confirm everything that's said, like, like you said, it's such the um, welcoming community for ex members. And you see that with FLDS a lot too, Mm -hmm. like people that have left anything where it's like, especially children that are born into it. And then they leave later in life. Y'all are the only ones that know what you went through. Nobody else Mm -hmm. can really relate to that. So it's uh, there's a lot of power in that community and being able to talk about stuff that you weren't allowed to talk about for so long and with people that can relate. Right. And I hope it is freeing. And thanks to all the XJWs out there. And if anybody's still sec- in it and secretly listening, certainly if you can get access to email, please do email us because we've had very generous offers from XJWs going, give them my phone number, mm-hmm. give them my email address. I would love to talk to them. So to exactly what, to echo what you said, you're not alone. And there's plenty of really kind people out there. And thank that's just a testament to our beautiful, wonderful hearted listeners. Thank you all for, for willing to be there for each other. Cause it's, it's isolating, man. For sure. Think, it really is. Think stepping out, you'll never see your mom again. You know, you might never talk to your mom again. Mm-hmm. That's a real powerful way to keep people in- controlled. Yeah. And it's very brave if you do leave an organization like that to save yourself knowing the consequences. So, you know, uh, anything we can do to help connect people. So maybe some friendships can be made from this. Yeah, just, just connections. let us know. Absolutely. Tells me everything I need to know that the organization itself cuts you out, won't talk to you, isolates you. But everybody that's left is like, what do you need? I will give you the shirt off my back. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Heather. Yes. There's another place that people can come together in a more lighthearted way at the end of October in our very own hometown of Dallas, Texas. And what will we be doing then? 
It sounds like you're talking about Obsessed Fest, October 20th through the 22nd in our hometown of Dallas. If you're not familiar, Obsessed Fest brings together podcasters and listeners of true crime podcasts in this space that we're in now. True crime podcasts like True Crime Obsessed, I Think Not, Robbie Ashadri, Generation Y, Red Handed, Let's Go to Court, Wine and Crime, Bob Ruff, Payne Lindsay. There's going to be panels. There's going to be uh, all kinds of stuff. We're doing a live recording. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the schedule is out now, too. So you can go to sinisterhood.com slash live shows. You can go to obsessfest.com and passes are available. The schedule is there so you can figure out what you're trying to go to, what you need to do. And we hope to see you there. Yeah, we'll be there. Well, if you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see what we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of content like our recent live stream where things got real unhinged, balanced (laughs) out for a while, and then... Because, oh, I was thinking, you know what? I'm conflating the Q&A and the uh, live stream. They were both unhinged. Both but the the horse head made an appearance in yes, the Q&A. Which Lucifer. Lucifer um, made an appearance. And if you haven't seen it, it's well worth the price of admission. And then we also did our quarterly live stream recently with discussing what Facebook marketplace finds were happening in our area and man oh man we tried too much we tried to obtain one it we don't have it it was sold it was sold we have a whole story to tell in the next one an update no i will say in the interim a very huge shout out thank you i love you both to uh melanie and Lacey who were willing to help go track down this uh bizarre sculpture that was about 200 miles from where we're at so they lived like certain distance they were about to relay race this weird sculpture back so bless you both we love you very much thank you very much for volunteering the seller (laughs) said you know what i can't find him which is creepy Because this was a uh, very unsettling sculpture of a moon face that looked like he was trying to S a D. So when you can't find him, you wonder, well, who's got him? She's like, my husband and I run this antique (laughs) store out of our house. Let me go see where my husband's at. It's like, girl, he's got the moon and he's in the bathroom with the moon. So she still says she can't find it. Whatever. I'm annoyed. It's fine. fine. (laughs) Maybe we commission a brand new one. (laughs) Yeah. She goes, oh, well, he was a one of a kind. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure they're not mass producing dick sucking moon faces, (laughs) but I wanted that one and now it's gone. I know. Well, anyway, you can see the journey that we went on to try and get this uh, by going to our Patreon. You can sign up for free and just see we're up to. We'll send out little notifications. And then if you want to watch something, you can go from there. And for everybody that recently signed up, thank you so much for supporting the show. And make sure you stick around after our sign offs to hear your shout out. Head to SinisterHood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out SinisterHood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. Just go to SinisterHood.com, click shop on the top banner. While you're there, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description for more fun like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets. 
You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod. You can like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Find us on YouTube and TikTok at Sinisterhood Podcast. And head over to cameo.com slash Sinisterhood to book your custom video shoutouts. It's fixing to be time for the holidays. There's nothing that blows somebody's hair back more than a <laughs> custom video shoutout from us, especially if you throw in some inside jokes, some stuff you want us to know about them. That's one of our favorite things is we get to know a little bit about you as the recipient of the gift and also know how much someone loves you. God, we had one from a, a husband the other day we both went oh that's so nice <laughs> it was very like nice. the nicest thing so go to cameo.com slash sinisterhood and order your custom video shout out and get us to deliver a message to someone that you love in your life where are you at online i'm on instagram at christy and wallace and tiktok at christy or gtfo heather i'm online at heather versus the world as always the devil rules the airwaves keep it creepy Thank you so much for supporting the show. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Caitlin Harrison. Hannah Jarecki. Ryu. Mindy Boggs. Kate Robichaud. Sky Boyd. Johnita Lanny Credit. Glow Poussins. Michelle Lockard. Catherine Saria. Bleep. I got the best ones today. You did get good ones. I hope we pronounced all of these correctly in the way that you intended. We love each and every one of you so very much. We couldn't do this without you. Stay safe, stay healthy, and keep it creepy. Mwahaha, <laughs> Sinister.